welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear stories of someone brave enough to bear it all. Let's get naked. Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. I am really excited today. This is Stripping with My Daughters, and this is my daughter, Olivia. Hello. (laughs) Olivia is in San Antonio, Texas, and this is a really cool episode. Olivia, you are 24 right now. Yes. And you are also a mom of a five-month-old baby at the time that we're recording this. And so I think this is great because you're the perspective of the child on a tough topic and on the perspective of a mom, but now you're a mom also. Yeah, it makes things definitely a little bit different. I, I, if we can add that in, I know today we're talking about divorce, moving, and baseball, which... You pick the. It, it all ties in. <laughs> These are tough for me because, as a parent, you know, you always feel like you're failing somehow at everything, at all the things, and uh, yeah, these conversations are definitely highlight how hard it it is for me. But they're really cool because we get to get both perspectives. So. We're going to jump in. You're co-hosting, so you need to be talking as much as I am, at least. Let's talk about divorce, moving, and we moved from Alaska to Reno, Nevada, and you were eight. Eight and a half, yeah. Just about eight and a half. So jump in, because I know we we moved from Alaska um, to Reno, which was a completely separate decision from the divorce or baseball. <laughs> Dawson is my grandson and we're going to hear him. He so, has a lot of things to say about this too. Yes, he has a lot of things to say. Uh, and he loves grandma, so I love him. He's my favorite. Um, the move was independent of the divorce. The divorce was not planned at all when we planned the move, but we moved to Reno and in that, in, within a year of being here, the divorce occurred or it was initiated. So you jump. So from my little eight year old, eight, nine year old perspective, it all happened like at the same time. Yeah. So moved in September and that was super hard, you know, leaving all your friends, going somewhere where you have no one, you know, absolutely no one. You're moving to a desert and it's disgusting and it smells weird. And just all of those things. And then a little bit later, you find out that your parents are getting divorced. And so I don't, I think the divorce was filed in February of the year after we moved, something like that. June. June. Okay. So we moved when I was almost eight and a half. The divorce was filed when I was nine. And that because so much was already going on with adjusting to being in a new place and a new school and, and all of the stuff going on, it just seemed like it was like smack smack instead of like we moved and then there's the divorce. It was like, we move in the divorce, like boom, boom. I mean, nine months later is when the divorce was filed and definitely nine. Well, a move like that, a move, to another town can be pretty huge. You, I mean, it can still be like, we moved in Alaska from, because 
but Anchorage to, um, where did we move first? Willow, you know, to, well, Wasilla to Willow to Big Lake. And even though Alaska is much more of a community, so as tragic or shocking. Mm -hmm. Well, we also had like, we had friends that were there the entire time. So even if we moved to different places, it's not like we moved from Anchorage to Fairbanks. We moved in like the same general area and I still had friends. Yeah, within an hour, hour and a half of each other. Everything was within an hour and a half of each other. So it never seemed like it was a huge deal. Right. We moved from Alaska to the lower 48. I know, I love that you called it the lower 48 because only an Alaskan understands. <laughs> I feel sometimes I get weird looks, it's fine. But it's like a different country. It's like- Basically, I mean, yeah. It's very, very, very different from anywhere in the lower 48 because it's so, there's so, I, so that's one thing. One, it was, if you move, let's say from, people move from the East Coast to the West Coast, same thing. You don't know anybody, yeah. friends, totally different. I mean, everything's different. So Reno from like where I grew up in Vermont, worlds apart, worlds apart. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. I mean, like, I'm living in San Antonio. I moved here for my husband, and I didn't know anyone when I moved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, he's, he's military. If we move somewhere else, I'm not going to know anyone. Right. I feel like it's different as an adult because you're part of the decision. Mm. Like, we're moving. We're not going to know anyone. As a kid, it's like we're moving. I'm leaving literally everything I've ever known. Right go somewhere completely different that I don't know. And then we started school mm -hmm. and I didn't know anyone, didn't know anything. It was really hard. And I felt like every year, every school year, I was starting over. Really? Like I went to third grade. That's what I was at when we started. So when we first moved, I was in third grade. I just start over, right? I was a new kid, new state, new school, new everything. I had to start over. The next year, there was issues with the friends that I had made in third grade. I was told I couldn't be their friend. I had to make new friends. Same school, same class, had to make different friends. Then we moved to a different school, and it happened again. So I felt like for the first, like, third through ninth grade, I was starting over every year. And I went from being, like, a pretty loving, everybody needs to have a friend, friends with the kids nobody wanted to be friends with, mm -hmm. up in Alaska to, well, every year I don't have any friends. Like, I had to start over every year, and that made it hard, too, where, like, third grade, it's fine, like, we moved to a new place, I have to start over, but then it happened again and again, so every year just kind of got harder, so I kind of hated Reno, because it was never nice. And when we moved, and then a little bit later, you guys said you were getting divorced. Well, then it was like, well, Reno just sucks. <laughs> like, everything happened in such a short period of time, and it never seemed to get better for me. Mm -hmm. So. Retrospectively, well, retrospectively, like, from my perspective, had I known, if we had, if we decided to move even I don't know. It, it's so hard. So if we had not decided to move, 
which I take a lot of blame for because I really felt like we were supposed to move. I definitely put a lot of blame for all of this on you. Right. Well, dad would have stayed in Alaska forever. And I, and this is, this was a huge part of the reason I grew up with a really big family where nobody was close. So I, I had my great grandmother that I was close to and my grandmother kind of, I am more as I've gotten older than not did. That wasn't really the case. My mom didn't get along or my mom didn't get along with her. And so I, my mom's the oldest of eight kids. I had this enormous family that seemed, that was very disconnected, really dysfunctional. But I had my sister that I was always really close to, and she had moved down to Arizona. And your dad has this huge, amazing family. And living in Alaska, because it's like a different country, I felt like I mean, a huge part of why I felt prompted to move was I wanted you guys to have, I, I didn't have a great family to be connected with. You guys did, and you weren't because of us, not because of the situation. Does that make sense? So yeah. I felt like it was hurting my kids to grow up without family because you had them and we weren't able to see them often. And so mm -hmm. a huge part of wanting to move was really wanting to be closer to family. And Alaska as an adult is different than Alaska as a child, where you have all these great memories. It, it was my favorite place I've ever lived, the best people I've ever known, one of the most beautiful places, and absolutely, hands down, the hardest place I've ever lived. Right. So I know that that's a contradiction. It's my favorite, but the hardest. But if you've lived there, it makes a lot of sense. No, and I get that. Like, I get that it's a hard place to live, especially in the winter. Totally understand. I have memories of, you know, playing out in the snow and all of that. Like, yeah, I'm playing, but, I mean, it's dark. Yeah. Recess was not very lit. Yeah. <laughs> well lit. I mean, it was pretty lit, but. <laughs> right. But, I mean, retrospectively, I totally understand why we moved. Right. And looking at it now, if we hadn't moved, I probably wouldn't know my husband, wouldn't have my son. It would be a very different life. And so like now I'm okay that we moved. I'm glad that we moved. But in the time it sucked. I know. And we're talking about you as a kid and as a parent, like, okay, in the military, you'll move and start over. And as an adult, you've mentally prepared yourself, but you also don't have a choice over where you go entirely. Not all the time, no. Right. I mean, I was military too, so like you kind of do, but kind of don't. Or yeah. like sometimes it goes well and sometimes it really doesn't. And when you think you may love a place, like San Antonio, Texas looks great on paper. Might. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it really does. But yeah. Maybe not. Because in the military, I moved to places and the places that I lived were three of my least favorite places I've ever lived. I'm grateful because I would have never had the experience. I would have never known, but you know, um, so as a parent, when you're making those decisions, I mean, in my mind, I was thinking we didn't want to live in Utah or Arizona, dad and I, when we made this decision, but we wanted to live within 12 hours drive time. 
And so we limited ourselves to this radius. And Reno on paper, right, four hours from the Bay, 10 hours from San Diego, seven hours from Boise, Salt Lake, and Vegas. It's this really, on paper, this is one of the best places ever. I still look at things and I'm like, this, this should be like my number one place to want to move. Although it's never felt like home after almost 15 years. Yeah. Right. Um, Alaska felt like home, but it was so hard. And, and another thing I'm really grateful. So as a parent, I'm really grateful. You guys all spent a lot of time with family. You got to know them. The biggest issue for me is I was successful in making sure that that occurred. And dad was too. Dad, 150%. Like, even though we were divorced, family is so important. And I, I think we met that goal of you guys really growing up, knowing your family well, as opposed to me. Oh, yeah. There. Oh, yeah. Um, and I didn't know you felt like you had to make friends over and over and over. Kids don't express those things. Yeah. I mean, I knew you were angry and I knew you were angry with me. Um, but, and that is always hard as a parent. And, and you know this now, which doesn't help you as a kid, but you're living your own story, your life story. You're creating it and living it while you're helping to create the story for your kids of their life. And kids don't realize that their parents have a story. Yeah. Um, and I, I've often wondered, like, if we hadn't decision to move and we had stayed in Alaska, the divorce would have still happened. What would that have looked like for us, me being a single mom in that situation in Alaska? For me, although we did have a bigger... Um, of friends. I knew no one in Reno. Over. I, I wonder how do you think it would have gone if we had stayed in Alaska, but the divorce had still happened? I don't know. I think there would have been so many things that were different because it is such a smaller group of people like you know more of everybody it's not like you know small town in the south where everybody knows everything and anything that happens is all the drama or you know any small town anywhere I I don't know I don't know either it, I think there would have been different things that were harder for us right we would have like, friends in our unit yeah but church was a big part of our life at that point. And I think just like in Reno, it would have, it would have ended up, maybe it would have been a little bit better of an experience. I mean, I'm, I imagine because people knew, they knew me so well. Yeah. So they knew me for a decade that because of people that we, I would have been talking to would have known me. So maybe that would have gone better. Um, cause I'm <laughs> um, I think I would have felt really, really, really isolated. Yeah, I can see that. 
So for me as an adult, being in Reno gave me more resources and opportunity in my mind. Although like I had to go back to work and stuff like that. We had to sell the dental practice. We would have had to sell the house and the dental practice anyway. So even if we hadn't moved, there's a whole bunch of things that would have happened. We would have been, we would have been out of that house and sold that house and had to move into something small. I would have had to go back to work. I mean, a whole bunch of things that made things difficult in Reno would have had to happen. As a kid though, you don't realize it. It was super easy for you to blame Reno and me. Yeah, it was. And I know that it was super easy because you were there. I mean, the dad was back and forth. Right. You were the bad guy. You're the one that brought us down. You were the one that was doing all the things. You're the one that cut my hair. Oh, like, all of like, wait a minute. <laughs> I was hoping that <laughs> came up. Because other stuff, we, okay, you want to talk about baseball, but you guys went to school when you started school in third grade. Was it, was it that first year that I cut your hair? I think so. I think that all happened in the first year. It was. It was. It was before the divorce was started. I remember because dad was back and forth from Alaska. Yeah. We were selling the dental practice. Um, okay. You and Alana got <laughs> You know, I had, I had headlights when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So I remember it was a horrible, awful, terrible thing as a kid. And I knew it's not because you any of that stuff. But even though your dad was back and forth, I was still pretty much feeling like a single parent. I wasn't working yet, but I had eight kids under the age of 12. Uh, which I, I loved that part, but like with the boys, I shaved all their heads so that lice wasn't an issue. So three boys, so five, five girls left, right? Mm-hmm. I checked everyone and I cut Kezia. Let me see. Brianna, Gabby and Kezia. I cut their hair as, in the shortest bob that I could just the shortest bob, like before you're shaving the back of your neck, because they either didn't have head lice or it was really, really very few. And I didn't want it to get out of control. I, and, and, you know, for a parent, anybody who's been through head lice, it, it's on every freaking surface in your house. It, it lives on the couch. They live on the couch and on bedding. And like you guys were all sleeping in sleeping bags. Because I learned, they're so cute. Oh, look, three generations. What? Hello, handsome. It's your grandma. I love you so much. Oh, I do. What's your perspective on the child? Things going okay? Yes. That, I know. <laughs> um, so I had to get the like I had to sterilize every anything that had fabric on it and you guys like couldn't be on it because I'd have to start the process over and I I knew that 30 minutes on high in a dryer would kill everything so everybody was sleeping like in that big family room in sleeping bags Mm -hmm. every stuffed animal I had like everything had to go through the dryer for 30 minutes everything had to be in 
me do the dryer and put it in bed. Like it was a massive undertaking. Like, and washing your hair and I was doing the stuff under the light, the, the comb and everything. And after a couple of weeks, I, it was not getting better with you and Alana. So what is your memory on the cutting your hair? Because it's so different from mine. So I don't remember who said to do it. I don't remember asking you to do it. I just remember sitting there and getting my head shaved and sobbing. And it led to a bunch of other things. <laughs> Having my hair cut. So you asked me if I cut your hair really short. Would it, would it go away? Because you as a kid, you were getting the shampoo in a bathtub every single day. I was going through the comb. You guys have a ton. I have, I have super thick, amazing hair. My kids have super thick. I mean, it was really, really. It's a blessing and a curse. It's a, mostly a blessing. But you asked me what would happen. And I said, the lice would be gone immediately. So how short were you thinking? Now, you said... I want you to shave my head. And I was like, are you sure? Now, again, retrospectively as a parent, I should have said no, because most of the lace, lace is down at the bottom, right? I will cut it in a super, super, super short bob because where most of your hair is up here hanging down is not where the lice is. And it would have taken a little bit longer, but it wouldn't have been that big of a deal and just cut your hair in a bob. You actually said you wanted it shaved, and then you started. To, then I started doing it, and you started to cry. There's nothing more devastating as a parent, nothing, ever in the world. Now, <clears throat> several of the kids have had pixie cuts, and Alana wanted her hair shaved because you did it, and you were like the strong big sister, and she did it. She since then has had pixie cuts and stuff. She's done all kinds of wild, crazy stuff with her hair. So, if you decide you want a pixie cut. You love the pixie cut because it's what you want. And basically, it was a like a less pretty pixie cut. But basically, and I couldn't bring you to a hairdresser. They won't do it. Yeah. And I wasn't licensed yet. So basically, if I had been licensed, or I had really thought about it more. But after two weeks of living in this situation that was stressful and you being able to go back to school and... It was awful. Yeah. And then in that same time, we started baseball. And my age group, I have since learned, is when girls start playing softball. I was the only girl on my team. I looked like a dude, and I sucked. And I got made fun of. Oh. Because of how bad I was, because I looked like a dude. But I was a girl. And so I hate baseball. My husband loves baseball. We're pretty sure this one's going to play baseball because I hate it. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. But that happened at like the same time for me as everything else. So it was just another thing. That's a fake cough. That's, that's another thing that just happened at that time where it just added to the level of suckage that was going on. Yeah, moving to Reno, starting a new school, getting head lice at that new school, deciding to shave your head, 
or regardless of how that happened. And like for me, putting you guys in baseball expose you to sports. I always, I never thought you guys played a lot of different stuff and it wasn't about you liking it or being good at it. It was learning how to be on a team. Like look at it from a parent's perspective. What are all the great things, right? Totally get it. Like I want my son to play sports and do stuff like that because it is good for you. It was just such a hard time and there are just so many other things going on and then getting made fun of because I looked like a dude, but I sucked at baseball just didn't help anything. And then also in that time we went to Arizona and when we got back, Brianna called me Aiden. Oh, she did. Cause I looked exactly like Aiden. We had the same haircut. Right. And our teeth were crooked the same way. I walked in the room and she's like, Aiden. I was like, Olivia. I was devastated. Like that was another thing <laughs> where even my sister was calling me a dude. And just like all of those things, they just like kept building. And so it never felt like it got easier. Like it never felt like it got better. Right. Cause your hair starts to grow and you're, you just finished third grade and you've had a miserable nine months. You find out your parents are getting divorced. Yeah. And then there was that. And then we started, you know, going back and forth and Bree stayed with you. And I felt then like I was the oldest. I had to step up another step. So then I was growing up faster. Like then I had like a bigger mature role than I had had before. So at dad's house, I was the oldest. I was the boss. Then going over to your house, I had a hard time because Brie was there and she was the boss. But I was with the kids all the time, so I should be the boss because I was the oldest there. Like I should, like it should carry over because I knew more of what was going on all the time because I was around it all the time. But that wasn't the case. So then that was hard for me and that like I butted heads with Brie a lot more and with you a lot more. Because I was just an angry child and growing up at one house, but not being able to do the same thing at the other house and trying to do all of the things and being in an awkward stage of life anyway. Like there's just so much going on right then in the first couple of years that we were in Reno. That were with me full time for almost a year and a half. And we started, you started, yeah. So I want to backtrack a little bit too, because you and Brie were four years apart and hi, it's very distracting being a great, I know. Um, you and Brie butted heads before the move and before, and you, oh. your personality as a second born was like, well, I remember, this sums it up. You said you were mad at me one day. You were like, should have been born first because I am the better boss. <laughs> like, I stand by it. <laughs> <laughs> so from a pretty young age, I mean, you guys were like two and six when I remember their start <laughs> friction. And that's pretty little. I'm on a two and a six-year-old. But... I don't know if it was a four-year age difference, the person 
completely different personalities or a combination of a lot of things. But back when dad and I were married and we were in a did not get along. No, we didn't. Like there there are definitely issues then, but I feel like it escalated another step when that was happening too. Yeah. And I mean that she went to Ohio and we were fine now. But like as kids yeah. when it was did you guys get fine. When did you start bridging that gap? Just out of curiosity. When we went to Ohio. So when she went to college and you must have been going into your freshman year of high school and she was a freshman in college. Yeah, she was gone. And then I started realizing like, hey, it's kind of nice having an older sister. I could steal her clothes, you know, whatever. All that fun stuff. Um, that's when I started to be like, oh, she's like kind of nice to have around. And we started talking a little bit and then she moved back and it was a little bit awkward. And then we were fine. I think that that's, in my opinion, I was always super close to my sister and I are three years apart, two years and nine months. We're three years apart in school and stuff and very, very different situation, but we were always really close. And I also think that we used stressful times to be closer and band together and lean on each other. I think that that is um, less common. Because you think if you're going through these hard times and you're doing it together, why wouldn't you guys like? We were doing it together, but we felt like we were alone. Like we've talked about it since and like, we went through a lot of the same things at a lot of the same ages. Like we, remember things very similarly we just never talked about it we had our own issues and we felt like like I felt like I was going through everything on my own I felt like I had to do all these things on my own <laughs> nobody understood what I was going through how I felt with everything and she felt the same way mm. from what I've heard I mean that might be a different conversation for her to have but right, right. like looking into it like and I, I think that a lot of the kids probably felt the same way. Like nobody understood how we felt individually or collectively. Like nobody knew how hard school was. Like I was a great student until seventh grade. And then I started just being angry. But there was just so much going on that it felt like certain kids were focused on more than others. And I wasn't one that was focused on. Cool. And so oh, I want to ask a question so bad. But it's, another, who did you feel like I focused on more? Bree and Taylor. Wow, really? Yeah. So I 100% get Bree. I, I understand that. You know, as a mom, when you're, I mean, I don't feel like I did spend more time, but like Taylor, I, I, that one is out of left field for me. Taylor seemed like the golden child. Wow. Like he was the favorite. Brie was the favorite. Also, like she got all the attention. She was older. She was doing all the like super nerdy school things, you know, because she likes to read textbooks, <laughs> whatever. Like that. 
<laughs> who does um and then it was taylor that one's interesting so taylor for me until he was a junior or senior in high school was just an easy relationship and maybe that's why it seemed like it because we had such a hard relationship like maybe because taylor and i did until my second year of college yeah well that's a common theme i think a lot of siblings who don't get along super well when they get older and they have that perspective of like you're almost an adult or you're you're much more independent and autonomous right you're really making a lot of decisions in high school on your own and you're getting your license and you're working and you there's a there's a freedom in your lifestyle and you start to get stuff you know you start to understand stuff like uh, why your parents couldn't buy you a pair of shoes when you, you know what I, like you, you get a value of money, you get a different perspective. And so I think it's very common for siblings who do not get along when they're growing up or there's some tension when those can be some of the closest relationships. So that, I don't think that that's uncommon. Um, and I also don't think it's uncommon to feel like you're not heard but the other kids are more than you because I could probably have a conversation with every one of the kids and almost all of them would feel that to some degree. Oh, I totally believe that. I totally agree. Part of it's that you guys, we had a big family. I mean, there's only eight of you at home at that point and we've had 11 and 12 before that and after that. And, you know, I mean, that was part of my crazy insanity and ending up with a big family. Uh, but that first year um, that we were in Reno, like you said, dad was back and forth to Alaska. He was in Alaska. I, I mean, I remember it as him being there more than he was in Reno. Um, that he may remember it differently if we saw it on a schedule, you know, but in my mind, I felt like I was alone. I was, I felt like a, we weren't, the divorce wasn't happening or anything yet, but I was much more in single parent mode because he just wasn't physically there mm -hmm. often. And I don't know if that's true, but that's how I recall it. That's what it felt like. Well um, then for me, like dad was back and forth and you weren't really there. Like you were going and doing things like working or something else. So it was Brie over all of us. Right. So my biggest regret in that whole situation, or not regret, but the thing that was the most difficult for me is that Brianna was very much an adult and she had had a lot of experience. And I worked three jobs for time, two for quite a long time um, once the divorce started. So I was not there. And Brie was the one that was left babysitting. So in that, in yeah. In the sense where you, I mean, as little as possible, I wanted her to babysit as little as possible. And one of my jobs was the school that you guys were at. You know? So I worked yeah. at your school was one of my jobs so that I was in closer proximity. Um, and I thought it would be super helpful to have a job at the school. So I could kind of see you more and I was closer by. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember going into the classroom where you worked, like during lunch or st stuff, like, I remember doing that. I remember you working there. Okay. So like, I know you were around, but then like at home, it felt very different. 
And Brie had more, what I hated was that she ended up with more responsibility than she should have at that point in time. Also, when we moved, she was going into seventh grade. Yeah. Which is a kid in third grade, you're not, you don't realize what junior high school is like. So as far as her getting more attention, one, she, like you said, she didn't go back and forth to dads. So that relationship for her felt kind of severed. So that was a difficulty for her. And she was older, so she understood more of the situation. So I think there's different difficulties in knowing and not knowing, you know. Um, and she tested out, she, when she went to junior high school, she tested at college level. Like she was, so she took two classes in seventh grade and eighth grade at the college in, as a 12 year old. So because she was 12, I had to go with her and I would sit outside the classroom while she was in her class. So I'm working two or three jobs. I have eight kids at home. I have a daughter who's got a ton of responsibility and the balance to that was, well, she was also taking college classes and I was sitting outside and maybe I was trying to do more for her because she had so much responsibility. I don't, I don't know, I don't remember it that way, but I can see if you're, if you're telling me that preferential treatment or I focus on her more, that would have been why, because she had so much more responsibility she was in high school and we were in college classes what a nerd <laughs> i love her i do but yeah i mean so where i can see you feeling like i had more um i focus more on brie i can understand what you feel that like i ever had to focus on more like i could focus on him less because our relationship was so much easier naturally Interesting to me, um, I would have thought you would have said Gabby and Nicholas. I think Gabby started getting more attention with Ashley and Chris. Oh, interesting. Because for me, it was before that. See, got a baby toy. Um, <laughs> For me, I think it must have been because you and Taylor had just an easy relationship that it made it seem like you were giving him more attention. Gabby was just so quiet that she didn't seem to start getting attention until Chris. Until I started dating Chris. Okay. And then Chris saw her and Ashley. Right. And started, you know, doing that relationship and that, you know was hard because it was like why is gabby getting all this attention because she's just sweet quiet gabby right nikki was a different type of attention where like it never felt like he was getting all the attention like preferential treatment or anything he was getting it because he needed it and everybody knew that he needed that attention right right i mean that's so that hard it was harder seeing like Brie and Taylor. Especially Brie, well, Brie and Taylor because those were the relationships you had the most friction with too. So that could. Yeah, that well. could definitely be part of it. Right. But as a kid, you don't, you don't recognize those things. It's just hard and it's awful and you feel left out. And yeah. Um, okay. So let, I want to talk more. So there's lots of sibling dynamics, of course, in our 
family. And I understand the baseball, like, yeah, you had head lice. Yeah. You look like a boy. Um, I, we were trying to get you, and this was a decision with dad. This was in that first, not, I mean, a lot of decisions throughout your life were actually with dad, but we got you guys all in the same league on similar teams so that we were at the baseball field and doing stuff. You know, what's interesting is that I don't think any of you guys liked baseball because Nikki, huh, Taylor, Nikki, Taylor, and Alana were all on the same team because they were all within a year of each other, you know, age wise. The the other kids were too young. Mm -hmm. So it was like you on one team and three kids on one team. And, but we did it because it made sense to be in that league and have practices at similar times and at the same location. And, uh, you know, you make decisions at par- as parents that like seem like they totally make sense. Not, and you never know which ones going to love and which ones are they going to hate. Well, I know Taylor liked baseball because then he wanted to keep playing baseball. Yeah. I do know he had an issue with his team because there was a girl named Taylor. Ah on the team and he hated it and then he went on this kick where he wanted to change his name to Tyler because of the movie Horse Crazy. Wow. So so there was that whole thing going on then too because there was a girl named Taylor. And I know there was that, but like Taylor liked baseball. I don't know about Nick here on it. I hated it. I was getting made fun of the entire time and I hated being put out in the field. When the other team was batting, and I hated batting because I knew I was going to get teased when I came back because I, I can't hit a ball. They're not It's so interesting because I hate baseball. In sixth grade, I got hit over the head with a bat. I was the catcher, and this was way, like way back in the 80s, you know. No, 70s. <laughs> I didn't, I was nervous and didn't feel athletic and wasn't good at it. And I was a catcher and the girl who was at bat, who never hit the ball, hit the ball, hit it really well. And we used metal baseball bats back then. And she had the bat in her hand and she went to throw it and she hit me in the head. I still have a lump on my head right here. And I ended up going to the hospital and having a concussion and I have never played since then. And I've never liked it. And you have to, I, I know as a parent, like you hate baseball and you want nothing to do with it, right? Because of your own personal baggage. And yet still you understand the value of getting your kids involved and that maybe it will be something that they like. And you're not going to know that till you try it. This issue is that if kids don't tell you that they're upset about something and parents are distracted. So I'm not, I'm not blaming kids at all, but as distracted and we may not be aware that something's bothering you or why it's I didn't know how much you hated baseball. Well, I didn't feel like I could say anything. I didn't feel like I could say anything. Because I didn't feel like if I did, it would matter. And I knew that, like, money had been spent on it. Mm. And I didn't want to be, like, a tattletale. 
and get other kids in trouble who were enjoying it. And I didn't want to make a big deal to you and have there be issues with that too. And I didn't feel like if I said it, it would matter. I think that was the biggest thing. We're like, because I didn't feel like we had a good relationship. If I had said that, mom, I hate baseball. I don't want to go. If I would have been made to go anyway. It's really hard to be a kid who's miserable and feel like if you say something, you'll ruin it for everyone. You won't be heard. You'll have to do it anyway. So what's the point? But you're right. I mean, you and I had a friction relationship already and you were super miserable for a lot of reasons. And I was definitely the, um, like it makes sense that I was the scapegoat for how you felt. If somebody needed to get blamed or something, it definitely makes sense that it was me a hundred percent. Um, especially because you know, there are relationships that are easier. I mean, you know, you've met like a million friends, right? Some people you click with and other people you just don't. And some people take some while to warm up. I mean, it's the same with kids. Having a child who doesn't particularly like you, it's like, like, what do you do with that? I can't just leave the party or not talk to you. We still have to do everything we can. And then that sucks. That makes me feel terrible. Because as a parent, I don't love you any differently. And you're right. You might have come and said something to me, mom, I really hate baseball. It's awful. The kids make fun of me. And I, I know you spent money and I don't want, but I don't want to do it anymore. And I might have said to you, because this is something that would seem like something I would say, well, it's not just about paying the money. It's that we made a commitment. You signed up for the team. And so it's really important in life when you've made a commitment to follow through on it, even if it ends up being something that you don't like. Mm -hmm. I very, I mean, that's super a your mom thing to say. Also about that time, like I had gone from being like a really nice. I went from being like, everyone needs a friend, right? You know, loving on everyone kind of thing to, to that and being made fun of and making friends and then having that go to crap where like I stopped being as friendly as nice because I was getting made fun of because I wasn't good at something there was drama with friends at school where then I was told I couldn't be their friend anymore so I stopped trying to be friends with everyone I stopped talking to people I became way more introverted and that stuck. Like I'm not, like that's just the thing. And it has been since about that time because so much happened. I was getting made fun of. It was just easier not to talk to people. Now you were never an extroverted kid, even before that, although you were you. So you were born like every Disney princess rolled into one very like um kind of dramatic and you liked to um 
talk in the mirror and wear dresses. I mean, it, there was, there's nothing bad about that, the personality that you had as a kid. It's um, that hasn't changed. <laughs> I myself in the mirror. And wear dresses and spin. I mean, you were the kid where I'd be like, okay, Olivia, you had this white cotton slip that would go under dresses and you wore it like I could hardly take it off you to wash the thing because it had ruffles at the bottom that made your dresses poofy. Not a ton, but a little, right? So you would just put the slip on and be talking to yourself in the mirror. I'd be like, Livia, we need to, you need to finish getting dressed. We need to go. Why can't she just let me take my time? Doesn't she, like you'd have this whole conversation. So we had friction in our personalities, not because of that. Just, I don't know why, just from the beginning. You, you had friction when you were a kid, you'd be like, why can't you go to work and dad stay home? And what you were very connected to your dad. You two had an easy relationship. You and I did not, there's no rhyme or reason or why, or, and it doesn't matter if there's, it's not personal. Um, just like Taylor and I clicked easily. Taylor and dad did not click easily. It just, that's just normal. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like that was sort of your personality and you were not extroverted about that though no about that whole princess drama in the mirror you were quiet out in public and with people yes but then at school i would want the kids who nobody wanted to play with be included which was so interesting so you dad and i decided because like none we weren't ever going to do preschool. We were going to homeschool till second grade. And we decided to do preschool with you because we were worried about you becoming a kid that felt entitled, just your kind of personality. <laughs> hey, you know, um, because you lived a fairly privileged life and we wanted you to realize that other people did it. So, yeah, we were, we wanted you to be a little more grounded. That was a concern. And you were little, you were like three, but you had this attitude at home with us that like you were the nucleus, the set, you were the center of the, I know that hasn't changed. I know, I know, I know it's true, <laughs> but we had concerns about wanting you to be a little more grounded. So we put you into a preschool and we didn't put you into the snotty uppity preschool. We put you in Head Start. Head Start in Alaska had only two slots per year for kids that didn't, that were above the income bracket. So Head Start was, is for low income kids. And you have to be below a certain bracket to qualify to be in Head Start. That's what it was like in Alaska at that time, 21 years ago. And we got you in on one of those slots. And um, I volunteered with Head Start. I did a lot of outreach there. I did public speaking there. I worked a lot with the parents. I, it was a great, it was a great thing with them because I was doing foster care then and I was licensed in a lot of stuff and I was speaking a bunch. So we were worried about um we were worried about how that would go. So if we, if I talk about you in the worst case scenario, scenario, so this snotty uppity entitled kid, which was the worst case scenario that could have happened, right? Um, you went into this classroom and we had our first meeting with the teacher 
And in that environment, you were a hundred percent the opposite. You reached out to the kids that were like innately, like intuitively, you just knew the kids that were hurting the most. It wasn't that they were the lowest income kids that came from a tough situation. Um, you honed in on those kids and those were the kids that you really like took under your wing. You used to go to school and we would pick you up and you didn't have any of your hair ties or your bows or your clips or anything in your hair. And I was like, where are all your barrettes and your little ponytails and clippy things? Your and hair pretties. The hair pretties. Yes. Where are your hair pretties? And you would actually asked me to put certain things in your hair and wear certain like necklaces and jewelry and stuff because your intention was that you were going to give all of your pretties away because you had so but mom i have so many and they don't have any and they need they should have hair pretties too and dad and I, well i'll speak for myself but we were i, I recall us both being like what who is this kid and so it was our the catalyst for us getting you into that program was one thing. It was, you were a completely different person. And so it's so interesting how intuitively, like you still are every Disney princess rolled into one who talks to herself in the mirror. Thank you. Yes. Law. And you single out the people that have the least amount of friends that you, you must feel that they're hurting you must have whatever your intuition is you must really feel that they're hurting and you gravitate towards them to make them feel included and you always have i don't know how much that continued because i don't feel like i'm still that way hmm. and maybe it's because like as i got older i just turned into myself more because so many things kept changing like I said, every year I felt like I had to start over. So every year I feel like it got harder and harder to do certain things. Well, also, you probably felt like one of the kids that didn't have any friends. Probably, yeah. You no, definitely, yeah. I didn't have any friends. You felt like one of the kids that you used to reach out to. Yeah. As a mom, that makes me super sad. I mean, now looking back, there were definitely things that were hard and I did like kind of start over. Like I felt like the new kid every year, even when we were in the same school and until high school, I switched schools like every two years. So like starting over wasn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I've met so many people and I've learned different things from all of them, like things I don't want to be like, things that I don't want around me. Mm -hmm. And so I've become a little bit more selective, but then the friends that I have are solid. Do you still like the underdog? Do you still feel like you gravitate or that is that totally gone? Have you gotten back to that at all? I don't know. I haven't actually thought about it. 
I definitely want everyone to have a chance. And I do feel like if I see someone who's more quiet than I am in anything, I will want to talk to them more than the people who are talking to everyone because they don't have an issue. So like it started out with you being like the strong, secure one helping other people. And then it flipped where you were one of those people. And yet you're, you'll push yourself out of your comfort zone. If you see someone that's also struggling. Yeah. I, it's awesome. I'm pretty cool. I mean, I think so. in my totally biased opinion, let's, let's touch a little bit more on the divorce. Cause I, <laughs> At your age, you had, like, at the time that things were happening, you feel like everything was rolled into one, and then Brie wasn't going back and forth, and you went back and forth. What was, what were some of the hardest things about parents who were divorced, and what things were, were there things that were good about that? Um, I think, so things that were hard were definitely going back and forth because dad turned more to church then became more active and wanting to do that with us and you stopped yeah so it was like at one house we went to church we read the scriptures we did family prayer and family home evening we went to the activities we did all of those things at the other house none of that mattered like, we didn't go to church. We didn't have to go to activities. We didn't have to do prayer. We didn't do family home evening or anything. It was completely different. I think that was really hard because I felt like you went from being this kind of mom who, like, did church to this completely other type of mom. Like, that felt different, and I don't think that helped me, like, feel any sense of security. Mm. So like houses were totally different. There were different rules at different houses. I had a different role at each house. So I think there was like so many of those things were just so much harder because it was like you lived one life here and a different life there. So then you felt like, at least for me, I felt like I had to be different people to fit into these different settings. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Like at your house, I could do different things, but at dad's house, I had to do other things. And so like there was that. And then it got hard when, you know, I started middle school and you go to different classes and then you had to remember where everything was and you had to do all those things. And that's, I started getting so much more angry about it. And I was like, I'm not going to do anything because it doesn't matter. And then because of the going back and forth, none of us did chores because we were just going to leave. So I didn't at both houses. We had our chore lists, but we didn't really do our chores because it didn't matter. We were just going to go to the other house. Like there wasn't a sense of home Mm. because we were going, we were just going to leave and then we were going to leave. It's like we had our houses but we didn't have a home, at least for me. So there was just a lot of it was really hard. At the same time, it was kind of nice seeing two different points of view. 
but then like it got hard when you had to choose which one you were gonna be like which version of myself is more me and then realizing later that it's not like one versus the other it's what combination am i yeah and finding the balance between being an active member in church and not so it definitely i mean i definitely grew up faster than would have been nice and took on lots of different things but then as i grew up and looking and thinking about it now a lot of those things have shaped me into who i am and given me pros and cons and things that i do and don't want to do or be and it's not like i want to be just like you or i don't want to be anything like you it's there are parts of you there are parts of dad there are parts of the situation that have made me grow and become more than I think I would have been in a normal situation. Like a lot of it was hard, but I think I came out better because I went through so much. It's so interesting because my perspective at that time, first, I maintained church until you guys were regularly going to your dad, even though I was not interested in, um, being an active member in church, I continued to go when you, when the back and forth started happening and it was regular and dad had a good rhythm. And because like you said, he was more active. Um, that's when I stopped, but I didn't stop. I stopped going to church. We still did prayers at dinner. Mm-hmm. And we, we didn't do family prayer, or family home evening, but all of the church activities, you guys did them at my house. No, cause mutual was on Wednesdays on a day that you had us, but you were also like, if you don't want to go, you don't have to like, you weren't going to give you the choice. Yes. Right. You were never pushing it on us. Right. Where. A lot of us took it as at the other house it was being pushed. Like different things were being pushed at different houses. Correct. And I, a hundred percent, I wasn't interested in the church. I was, my whole goal in that was to be a hundred percent supportive of you guys being interested and not, and making it as, creating as little confusion as possible. So I didn't go back to church with you guys for a while. And the brief period that I did when you got a little older, I felt like it was confusing and I stopped. I didn't stop because I right. I didn't stop because I wanted to stop. I stopped because I felt like it, I was supporting my kids um, and doing what was in your interest, not in my interest. So, um, you know, me finding a different church and going to it and bringing you guys was very brief in the span and i always a hundred percent supported the church but i did let you know that it was your choice i think i would have shifted to that if dad and i had stayed married and i had stayed in the church and all of that stuff uh because of how i was raised and how different i was very very big into giving you guys the choice. Those were conversations dad and i had when you guys were super little we had conversations on like what if you want to wear a bikini And I'm like, I think they need to be able to make that decision themselves. 
we can't force them to do a certain thing because I saw my cousins who were Jehovah's Witness force, 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 force. And the second they got any freedom, like when we met for family reunions and stayed in a hotel, they'd come to our hotel room and binge on candy till they were throwing up because they were never allowed any sugar. And because I saw that, I thought, regardless of the religion or the situation, um, explaining how how I feel and what the church feels, and but then giving you the choice. I think that's what we've talked about doing for our kids. Yeah, is being like, here's the standard. Here's why it's a standard, but it's your choice. Like I wear bikinis because if I wear one piece, I get hives on my stomach. It's not worth it to wear a one piece. I'm not doing it because like it's sexy. I'm, I'm doing it because I would rather not have hives all over my stomach. I don't want to be itching myself all day. I want to enjoy my time. And so like giving the option, like there are things where it was nice to have the option of different things. It also made some things harder right? because like you couldn't do certain things at the other place or like if you did, you felt like there was a little, like there was a little bit more tension or a little bit more judgment. And I remember maintaining the chore wheels and all that stuff. I don't remember that ever changing or being different as far as my goal was to really keep things very consistent. What was difficult is that the judge that we had made the determination because Sam was so young. So they look at the younger kids. There was a study that came out that kids that are away from one house for a week or more at a time have a harder time with the transition. So they took a two week block of time and she did the two, two, five, five schedule. So you're two days at one family, two days at the other house. Mm -hmm five days, five days, right? For people who don't know. And the reason that she chose that was because in studies, especially younger kids actually transition better that way. Having gone through that, I hate, well, I think dad and I both hated it from the beginning. Two days is like just enough to blink. And five days you feel like, okay, we're getting, we're, I like the week on week off much better because you actually mm -hmm to be there and have structure and it's not interrupting the school week which was very hard on the 2255 schedule we did not have control over the schedule we weren't allowed to choose that um, and we went we had to go with what the judge said and she was going with what she felt studies had proven was best for the kids so that was all set up to be in the best interest of you it made things so hard. It was so hard for dad and I. It was so hard for you guys. Uh, we didn't like it. And so, you know, there are some things that are hard that they're really hard when you're a kid and you don't realize that like, I didn't choose it. Dad didn't choose it. We actually didn't have any choice over it. It was court mandated. I didn't know that. Yes. And why it was court mandated. And why, how would, how would you explain that to a kid in third or fourth grade or younger so that it would make sense? And also one thing that I tried hard to do, and I'm sure I failed, was to not, like things were different at dad's house and my house. 
it doesn't mean that I do it right and he does it wrong or vice versa. Although if we were having this conversation, he was here, he would probably make a joke and start laughing and tell me, you know, actually it was because I was doing it right and you were doing it wrong. Cause that's what dad's like. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's not about that. It's that we have different parenting styles and now you're not collaborating and cooperating in your parenting style. You are doing it. You don't have to like check in with another person and right, make, you're doing it separately. Right. So, that he, it, there wasn't a right and wrong. There were differences. And I really tried hard to support how he was doing it and to not badmouth him. That's almost like when you're a parent in divorce, getting along with the other parent and that you're said there's, it's not possible to do that hundred percent successfully. It's mm -hmm. of conversations where it looks like you're badmouthing that person and you're just answering a question to your kids and it, but that was really important to me in the process. So as we're wrapping up this conversation about now we know the, we know the baseball situation. We, we know, I understand the moving and the divorce situation, how hard that was for other parents out there that are experiencing this. Cause now you're an adult thinking about it as a child. What, is there any advice or anything you would say, like maybe we did things that were really, that we did well, that you would encourage other people to do, or some things we didn't do well that you would encourage people to do? It matters more about the kids than it does about your own personal feelings. Like you might, whether or not you get along with the other parent that you're leaving it's all about the kids and their best interests. Whether that's staying at one house or going back and forth, you need to listen to the kids. Because we had a big family, so I don't feel like all of us got listened to. I think a lot of things could have been different. Not necessarily better, but at least different if we had all been heard on how we were feeling. And I feel like some of the kids, the only thing they really know is Reno and divorce and going back and forth and all of that. But for the older ones, like me and Bree and maybe Alana, remet, like really listening to how we felt and how things could have changed so that it was better and easier for us. Another thing is, there were a couple of times where I had said to you that I wanted to go talk to some, that I wanted to see a therapist and no one ever did anything about it. Mm. I would have loved to see a therapist. I think that would have helped with a lot of things. So like if your kid is saying, I need to talk to someone, make it happen. If your kid is saying something like that, you have to listen because that's, what's going to make your kid be the most successful and have the best time out of all of it because it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy. Divorce sucks for all parties involved, but there is a way to make it a little bit easier, a little bit better. And that's really seeing like what the kid or kids need. And if they're saying like, I need to see a therapist or, Hey, can I stay at one house full time? you need to figure out how to do that. And it might not be totally possible to be at one house a hundred percent of the time, or you're like, it's actually better to go back and forth because then you get time with me and with your dad or your dad or your mom or whatever. 
sitting down and explaining that at a level where they can understand. Cause I thought we had had the conversation where when I reached a certain age, I could decide where I wanted to live. I got to that age and I was like, Hey, I want to live with dad. And then it was like, no, you have to wait until you're older. So I felt like I got to this point where I could make a choice because I was old enough to, and then I was shut down. Like, even though I was saying, Hey, I wasn't being listened to. I said, Hey, I want to talk to a therapist. I'm having issues. And I wasn't listened to. I don't remember that you asking for a therapist because I remember trying to find therapists. I wanted, Alana doesn't remember the divorce or Alaska. I mean, she has like only a couple vague, mm -hmm. like below six. She was six. And so under the age of six, she has a couple memories, but not specifically to Alaska. And she doesn't necessarily, she doesn't really remember. She doesn't remember dad and I being married, like living that she may have a couple memories. Um, so basically you are singled out in this situation of wanting more choice and wanting like the things that you want are different than the younger kids. Cause they don't have the same memories. You were on this age. I feel like that was where you were like, I remembered you guys married and then I got this divorce and this back and forth thing. And I don't feel like I was listened to on what I would have liked. Right. And I feel like I listened a lot and explained why, but you know what, that's a really, really hard, that's a hard thing to navigate. And it's certainly very imperfect. Um, oh. cause I would have wanted to put you in therapy. I think that would have been great for you. I was pro. Oh, I so I don't understand how that disconnect, like retrospectively, I don't understand that disconnect. Cause that again, like these are always conversations that make me feel bad because it's how you struggled as a kid, which means somehow I could have done more as a parent, you know? So regardless, it's going to be hard, but I, I would have wanted that for you. So there are some things also there was, um, with deciding where you wanted to live, there was the whole group of kids to consider and making the schedule and going to court to make that happen. That was never explained. It was when you get to 12 or whatever, you can decide where you live. Right. It was like 12, 14 or something like that. And so I got to that age and I was like, Hey, I've made a choice. I want to be at one household time. And then I was told, no, I had to wait until I'm 16. Yeah. It, right. And I kept getting pushed back and there was no reason why. So then I just kept getting more angry. I'm like, nobody cares. It, it's what I And part of that is a legal reason and a court reason. And part of that is a setting a precedent for all of the other kids. So you old been explained to me at a level that at the time I could understand, maybe it would have been better. I mean, at the time when like, you're like, Hey, no, I mean, then I just got angry and frustrated. Like you told me I could do this. Right. And you're a liar. Like, just give me another thing. Um, it wasn't me lying. I mean, this was a thing with dad and I. Yeah. But you were the one that had talked about it first. I hadn't had that conversation with dad. I had had that conversation with you. And then when I was like, I don't want to live with you anymore. <laughs> and you were like, no, you don't get to make that choice. You have to wait until you're older. Right. Well, then I just had another thing against you where I was like, well, she said I could do this. <laughs> I told her 
I'm not old enough to make that decision. And it just made me so mad. Really, if that conversation had gone differently, if you had been like, I thought that's how it could happen. If we're going to do that, a lot of things have to happen first. It's not worth it right now. Or whatever. Maybe I wouldn't have been as mad. How did you bridge the gap with me? Because I feel like we have a really good relationship. And this conversation doesn't really highlight the fact that I think we have a really good relationship. But we definitely were more friction from the beginning. I mean, from you being between two and three. And and that's a personality thing that's not anyone's fault. It's not, it's Mm -hmm. actually so normal that I don't think of it as a big deal. It's hard as a parent, mm-hmm. but when, so, and then I was the heavy for all of this stuff. When did that shift and how did it shift and how hard was that for you? I think after I moved out of your house, when I was, you know, 18, I think it got a little bit better, but there was still a lot of things that I was holding on to. There was lots of things that I hadn't worked through. I think it really, really happened when I was leaving on my mission. Yeah. That's what that, huh? You're going to cry? Oh, usually I'm the one that cries in these. (laughs) When you were leaving on your mission, right? When I was leaving on my mission, I made you lemon squares and wrote you a letter. And I was like, here's how I felt about a lot of situations. It's okay. I'm nursing. I'm going to blame that. Yeah. Yeah. It's Um, five month postpartum hormones. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On my mission, we started writing letters. And a lot of those things kept coming up. And I was really hurt when I was getting ready to go on my mission that you weren't there when I was giving my farewell and you weren't there when I was leaving. And for me, I was like, if my mom's not there, that means she doesn't care. Mm. And that means our relationship is done. Gosh. Um, And on my mission, we started writing letters. And at one point, we decided that we just needed to move on. So when I got back, we were starting over. And we have. And so I think going through and being apart from each other and talking more about it and being like, it's never going to get better if we keep bringing up the things that went wrong. Mm -hmm. We need to be like, that's behind us. We're starting over. So my mission was kind of like a reset button for us in our relationship. And it has gotten so much better. I think another thing that helped a lot was you coming out and helping after I had little man. And just being like that other bit where it's like the mom mom. Mm-hmm. And helping me out with something new to me like yeah I've helped with a lot of kids I've nannied I've babysat whatever but you came and helped me with something that was new that you had experienced and been through a few times and I think that was another thing because I was so worried 
that you are going to take over and like be mom and not just be you know the mom that I needed you to be at that time so like my mission was a reset and then and we've worked on it and then since having my son you've it's just added another layer to that word like I don't feel like you're the same person as when I was younger like that relationship has changed right in a more positive way and instead of like when I was in high school and angry all the time when I was like I don't want my kids to know mom I don't want to know mom like I'm gonna turn 18 and boot scoop my booty out of here like we hit the reset button we left that drama and that garbage behind us so I got home and I was glad to see you and I was glad to start over and now you're like the person that I want to talk to about being a mom Mm -hmm. because even though like I didn't feel like you were a great mom at the time now I'm like she did what she could I didn't make things easy I mean a lot of things really hard. (laughs) I don't think that that's an untrue statement. I also think as a parent, I showed up and gave 150% a day. Sometimes that looks like, you know, when you're, or I should say, I wanted to give 100% to parenting every day, every single day. Sometimes that looks like 150% and you're knocking out of the park. And some days that feels like a fraction because of every single variable in the world like if you have a headache or you're sick as a mom or your kids are, or what, 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 all the stuff that happens. And like, I, I breastfed you for two years and I made all your baby food and I had you at home with a midwife and I homeschooled. And when you were in kindergarten and because we thought it was better for you to go into this group class and you were hiding under the table, I was the one that went and sat under the table with you. And you know, I mean, I remember being a very hands-on, very positive, very involved parent where you see it completely differently and we're both right. Yeah. I was a really good mom who tried every day, who showed up every day and put everything into it and did a good job. And I was a mom that sucked and that you were angry at. And like both perspectives are a hundred percent true. And it's really hard as a parent to realize that both perspectives are totally true. Yeah. And it's not just perspective, it's that they're just both true. And so where you thought I was a crappy mom and I thought I was a great mom, I was. I was both. I, I was a crappy mom. I, and that I, I couldn't have done it a whole lot differently with you. Yes, there are things that would have made a difference. Maybe getting you into therapy would have made a better difference positively. Maybe taking you out of baseball. I mean, there are things that maybe I could have changed. That doesn't mean the overall experience would have been different. And I know before you went on your mission, like I was there when you opened your papers, I was there for a lot of it. So I remember what I was there for and how much I felt like I was supporting you where you remember what I wasn't there for. I remember what you were there for, but then like you were there when I opened it and you were okay with me going. Oh yeah. Something else happened that made it harder again. I, I can you about your anger and about how you felt about me and that I was totally okay 
with how you felt about me. And I didn't even know all of it at that point. Um, but that if that's how you felt, you as an adult have the ability to have less contact with me. And that even though that is a thing that hurts me tremendously because I don't want it and I don't feel that way, I would respect your decision if you felt that way, but that I would rather do that than have all the anger and the tension. And I think it was that conversation when you were getting ready to leave on your mission. Yeah. It's like, nope, we're having this conversation. You're going to be gone for a year and a half. This is a perfect breaking off point for you. And I don't want to deal with the tense relationship anymore. I can't. So then it went to, if she's not at my farewell, like then she doesn't want a relationship. Like then she's cutting me off. Which wasn't the case. I was actually respecting your space. Okay. That makes sense. Different points of view. Things are true, right? It's really hard when you have completely opposite things as a parent and child. And I'm saying both things are true because both things are absolutely true. Um, because it seems like such a contradiction because they're polar opposites, but that's not the case. So we had that conversation where I was more confrontational. Like, look, you're an adult. This is the situation. I don't understand all of it, but, and I hate it, but I'm going to respect your decision and you're leaving. And this is a great point for us to just sever ties. If, the, if that's, you need to decide if that's what you want. And if it is, I'm going to respect that decision. And this is a great time to do it. And so it was in that period that you went to your farewell. So yes, I was giving you space and time and distance out of respect. And I was taking it as like, you don't care, you're done. Right. And I was like, well, then we're like, our relationship is done. And then I think we've been emailing each other every now and then. And I was like, I love getting letters. So we started handwriting letters and in that we had the conversation about how things weren't going to get better if we kept bringing that stuff back. And when you left, you said that you didn't want to sever contact, like me approaching you that way and being like, Hey, I like, we need to be done with this. It's, it's negative. It's not, it's not doing anything good. Um, I think that that was probably a surprise for you because what mom is like, hey, if you want to sever ties with me, sever ties. We, we need to sever ties. That is a better option than what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. That's very unusual. Um, and in that process, you realize, you told me that you did not want to sever ties, but we were, we were trying to figure out how to move forward. So I had as much contact with you through email and stuff on your mission as I could. There were times where you realize a couple of weeks has gone by like, oh my gosh, I haven't even emailed. And that wasn't about you. That's more about life happening and us being in our own world. And you know, Oh no, I realized that all the time. I think everybody, it wasn't just me. Everyone that was emailed yeah. was that way. Right. So yeah. I, I'm not putting any blame. Like I emailed you as I did not miss any opportunity to have contact. And then we did. And at some point it's like, I can't go back and change anything. And you can't go back and change anything. And I'm really sorry. And at some point you have to have mutual forgiveness and, mm -hmm. and decide you want to sever ties. And because I sever ties with my parents, even though I don't understand why any of my kids would want to sever ties with me because I, I never abused you. I never neglected you. I, it was never anything big and awful. I respect the fact that as an adult, you may have a difference of opinion that's great enough that that seems like the best option. So I have respect for that. And at the time I thought I did, but then I was like, mm. why, like you weren't a terrible mom. 
You weren't a bad mom. We just didn't always get along. Right. And you went through some tough times and I was the scapegoat. Yeah. And that didn't make it easier. But then I was thinking about it and, you know, teaching about forgiveness and all of those things. I'm like, I seriously was like, I can't teach people to forgive everyone and, you know, love everyone if I'm not doing it. And, you know, made me feel all bad. I was like, I've been terrible to my own mom. Like, I've blamed her for everything. And if we don't fix it, then she's not going to be someone that I want to be around. She's not going to be someone that I want my kids to be around because I'm going to be like, oh, I don't like her. So I don't want to be around her. And then my kids are never going to know her. And that was something where I was like, I can't teach something if I'm not doing it. And I thought about like the bigger picture. And then, you know, we emailed and wrote letters and decided to just move forward. So then I came home and that's exactly what we've done. I think it's learning forgiveness and taking space and being honest. Like I gave you options Mm -hmm. and I gave you an out that was easy. I gave you an easy out if you wanted it. Um, As a parent, that's hard to do. I think it's important because kids that become adults have very, um, you you have your own perspective that's that's not incorrect. Um, And I think it sucks that you happen to be the age and the in the order and all of that stuff that kind of got hit the hardest of the kids in this situation. You were the worst personality or one of the harder personalities to have been the one that was at that age and at that time. But I think learning forgiveness and taking space, we took space because you were in Japan for a year and a half and we couldn't call. Well, we called like what, two or three times in that year and a half. We were, we could three three times that we got to Skype Mm -hmm. and then we could email once a week or you could receive emails once a week and then you could get letters. You can create that space as a parent and a child living in the same town. You just have to set boundaries and parameters. And basically what we did is said, no, we want to move forward with boundaries and parameters and a more open dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I came out when, I mean, it was just five months ago uh, when this is being taped that I came out having the baby and I was going out cause you were having a baby like do to do. I'm just going to do my mom, grandma thing. I have no concerns because I don't see myself as the parent that you saw me at. So your fears that you had, I don't even see myself as that. So I had no concerns at all. My whole goal in being there was making sure I left and your house was spotless and didn't have to be cleaned for a while, that you had food in the fridge and the freezer, that I had done everything that I could to make your life easier and bridge the gap so your body could heal and emotionally you could level out and all that stuff. And so I came in like do to do, not knowing that you were nervous about it. And after a day when you were like, yeah, I was really nervous. I'm like, why did you ask me to come? <laughs> if it was like, why would, if it was this stressful, why did you ask me to come? But you pushed all comfort. I did. And actually talking to a friend about that, because she has a rough relationship with her mom too. Her mom was there when she had her baby and she said that that helped their relationship and I was like okay 
we have a better relationship, we can make it even better. And so, and then like I saw you after we came back from the hospital and I was so relieved. Right. So happy that you were there. And you did, you focused so much more on me because I needed it than you did on the baby. Yeah, the baby will get plenty of attention down the, the baby road. gets all the attention. I mean, all the so like I was nervous about it, and then I was like, it will be better for you to come than it will be for me to be like, hey, how about you don't? Because that just that makes me feel bad thinking about it, being like, huh, I don't want my mom to be that, just makes me feel bad. Because, like, we had been working on our relationship, and then you came out, and I was so glad that you were there. You did so much. You made me feel so much better. And it just made that transition a lot nicer, and it was so nice having you here, seeing you, like, take on the grandma role, and being the mom that... I kind of wanted all the time, but wasn't letting happen. Right. I mean, that's a great way to put it. And I think pushing past your comfort zone and having tough conversations, which we did in letters and stuff. And I remember one letter, like finally, there was one letter that you sent. And I think I've been trying to say the same thing. We're like, we can't keep talking about this because we can't change it. We mm -hmm. have to move on and but you continue to have conversations and I know a few days ago because now you're five months after having a baby and I said <laughs> I mean Dane's been saying it for a while like we'll be on the phone and doing stuff like we have the same mannerisms and voice intonations because like we're family right mm -hmm. but he got off of a FaceTime once and he's like could hear it and he sees snippets of it and he's like she doesn't know yet that she's so much like you I'm like I don't think we're gonna tell her that that might not Oh, well, <laughs> I think I have gotten a lot of your manners and your attitudes and stuff, but I think I've gotten the parts that I liked. Right. Because why would I take the parts that I didn't like? <laughs> well, I think a lot of people do that. That's called perpetuating a cycle. So mm -hmm. I know what my parents were like for me, and I wanted to take anything good from what they did. And, you know, there were, there are some good things that my, not my dad, like there, there was like nothing, but for my mom, there was, there's this list of things that she did well, or that I'm grateful that she passed on and to focus on those things and then think, okay, well, what else can I do? And that's why I started traditions and tour plans and tour wheels. And like, there's all these things that I implemented from after Brie was born that were important to me because I wanted to take where I came from which was completely dysfunctional and make it better. Not one step better. Like I wanted to take it up as many levels as I could. And I think that I accomplished that. And then looking at my kids, what I have always said is take what I've done and make it better. And that could be doing it your own way or doing a new twist or leaving the things you don't like behind and embracing the things that you do. I mean, it can mean a lot of different things. It's going to be different for every one of you because I have super close relationships with, with several of the kids where I've never not had a close relationship through the struggles and other kids that I do not have close relationships with as much, but still in that, even with the baggage and the things that didn't go well, I've always wanted you guys to one up me on your relationships and on your parenting. So 
I, I don't think that that's a put down to me. I think it's a, it's an encouragement to you. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that that's how it is. Thank you so much for being on and, and throwing me under the bus and uh, being honest and, uh, <laughs> and experience. It's really great, especially because now you're a mom too. So you, you now have that shift in perspective also. Yeah. So thank you, Olivia. Thanks, Mom.